Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokey Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall? Need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to VividSeats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. Hokie hangover, NC State 35, Virginia Tech 28. Hokies finished the year 4-2 and two at Lane Stadium. If they finished the year 5-1, and one, we'd already be talking about bowl eligibility. Unfortunately, that is not the case, so we go into hell week this week against Virginia with a lot to play for. Uh, guys, a little disappointing. little disappointing, not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, like hindsight being 2020. This is always what the uh, the football gods had in store for us. You know, the creativity uh, might not always be their strong suit as, what is this, the sixth time in the last 10 years that Tech needs to beat UVA in order to go to a bowl game? I don't know. I saw that on Twitter. It's something like that. We've all been fans for a long time. It's not our first rodeo with Hell Week. So excited to be here. Once again, I'm excited to be here with you guys, but certainly not excited to be here under these circumstances. This is, um, it was a very frustrating watch on Saturday. I was in Lane Stadium, as was Andrew, watching this live up close and in person. And if Virginia Tech had lost this game in a more predictable fashion, I think we all might feel a little bit differently coming out of this, but one of the things that we could point to in all of Virginia Tech's losses was that it was the same things causing them problems over and over and over again. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case in this one, and there were some new issues that popped up that exploited the same problems that Virginia Tech has had, but it was exploited in a different way, and I think that was what was more frustrating and it opens up a lot of questions about whether or not this defense is going to be able to get it together 
against another improvisational quarterback. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk a lot about the defense tonight for obvious reasons. The defense played terrible. Uh, but the one takeaway I had, you know, coming away from the game and, you know, in the immediate aftermath and then kind of on Sunday, I did a rewatch of it. And the one takeaway I had that kind of held true once I kind of took a breath and watched it again was Virginia Tech's total lack of complimentary football in the first half. We're going to talk about the defense. Defense was bad. But Virginia Tech's offense in the first half did not do anybody any favors. Hokies were 0 for 4 on third down in the first half. It was a 2 to 1 time of possession advantage for NC State. Obviously, a couple different factors at play there. Number one, Tech's defense being unable to get off the field on third down. Number two, Virginia Tech's offense unable to stay on the field on the other side. Brennan Armstrong, I mean, we we talked about this on the preview. This was an offense that had two weapons. It was Brennan Armstrong and it was Casey Concepcion. And the two of them torched Virginia Tech's defense on Saturday. And this was the first game where, and I want to phrase this a little bit differently than I phrased it on Twitter because you're limited in characters. When when a team loses a game, there's always an element that, you know, the coaches have a portion of the blame and there's an element in which the players have a portion of the blame. And in a lot of games this year, in, in several of the losses, we were able to point at a talent disadvantage that Virginia Tech was at, whether it was across the entire roster or certain position groups on the other team exposing Virginia Tech's weaknesses, right? So when I think of Marshall, I think of a team that's really fighting to go to a bowl game in the Sun Belt, not a very good team. But I do think of a good running back room that they have and how it exposed Virginia Tech's linebacking core. When I think of the Rutgers game, I think of Kyle Monagai tearing up Virginia Tech's linebacking core. When I think of the Louisville and Florida State losses, right? Obviously, a, a little bit of a larger scale. I think of the talent across the roster and how it exposed Virginia Tech's weaknesses on both sides of the football. Saturday was the first time this year, especially because the Purdue game was so odd with the long weather delay and everything else that went into that. Saturday was the first time where I thought for the primary reason why Virginia Tech lost was because they got outcoached. Robert and I, the use of pre-snap motion, and we were talking about this on the preview, Robert and I caught a lot of heat from NC State fans this year for the play of the offense. It's a question Ricky asked me on the preview, right? It was, why wasn't this working well this year? Like, why can't NC State's offense get anything right? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You had the reunion of a successful quarterback and offensive coordinator tandem from when they were at UVA. And they both reunite after a couple of years, right? And I going up to Syracuse, then down to NC State and Armstrong meeting him there. Why didn't this work out, right? And we were talking about the offensive line play and we were talking about, you know, the, the turnover issues that NC State had. And we were talking about the lack of skill position players outside of Concepcion. And I still think a lot of that stuff is true, but what Anai did on Saturday from a schematic standpoint really left Chris Marv and the Virginia Tech defense with more questions than answers. The pre-snap motion in particular, like one way to expose a linebacking core that has had trouble with gap integrity all year is to get them moving pre-snap, right? Like the Tech defense had enough issues in the early part of the schedule getting lined up when there wasn't any motion, right? And then they played a handful of offenses that really don't utilize motion all that much in the pre-snap, right? Pittsburgh. Uh, Wake Forest does it a little bit, but Pittsburgh and Boston College in particular don't. Syracuse, they did it more when they had Sean Tucker, not as much this year. NC State kind of brings it out in ways that, you know, Florida State could and Louisville could pre-snap. And it really threw Virginia Tech's linebacking core through a loop. And Tech just didn't have any answers. So we saw run after run after run by Brennan Armstrong in particular, right up the middle of the Hokies defense where there were no linebackers to be found. 
Defensive line had a bad day too, but I thought the linebacking core played especially poorly. One of their worst performances of the entire season. It was really disappointing. Yeah, they were exposed uh, really in the entire game. Now they played a little bit better in the second half, but NC State kind of packed it in there in garbage time, which is part of the reason why Virginia Tech was able to get to uh, get this game to seven points and actually uh, be within a shout of tying it. But uh, my issue, well, there's a couple things. First, defensively, it, it did seem like they were consistently exposed and out of position. But I'm 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 think I'm more so frustrated about this offense in the sense that you can't go over four in your first four drives. They didn't have a single drive in this game from start to finish that went longer than like three and a half minutes. It was frustrating. The social and, media and Mike Basial Tootin, two carries. The the thing that frustrated me that made me crazy is everybody's talking about how poorly the defense played. And I think it's all justified, which, right? Yeah, which they did. Totally just totally justified. Totally justified. I understand the fan frustration. Totally get it. I wasn't at I wasn't at the game. I wasn't in lane. I was watching on TV. I'm looking at social media constantly. All all justified, right? But with how poorly the offense came out and played, it put a strain on the Virginia tech defense in a way that we saw a lot in the month of September. <laughs> yeah. Like we we've seen this a lot this year where Virginia tech gets off to a slow start and they're unable to put it together on either side of the football. We just hadn't really seen it in a while against an, a caliber of opponent like an NC state. Now, not NC state's eight and three really, really good defense. No, no question about it. Really, really well coached to well able to, to put together, 35 points with a quarterback that's been Dorian unsuccessful all season and Concepcion's the only reliable weapon that they have. And Doran, you know, I we'll see what they do with coach of the year. If they give it to Norvell or, or Brom, Doran should be in the mix. It'll probably go to Brom. I feel yeah. like and, and all things considered. Right. And Doran should absolutely be in the mix. Doran, he, he catches a lot of flack because he can, he's never been able to win the big game. And that's true. But you can almost always bank on like a baseline level of competence on both sides of the football with Dave Doran coaching. And that may not be good enough for some NC State fans and and you know, fair enough. But uh the the difference in coaching showed up in this game one hundred percent. It was right off the bat. And like Mike mentioned, the just complete utter lack of complimentary football in the first half made this game over by the third quarter, like midway through the third quarter was completely out of reach. To touch on what you were talking about earlier there, Rick, the Tootin thing just baffles me. I mean, yeah. I was in the stadium, unlike you, I was in the stands rather than the press box. And unlike Mike, I was not glued to social media. We all know the service issues in Blacksburg on game day, you're kind of just left to your own devices. And instinctually, I'm like, he's got to be hurt. And no piece of information that's come out since then has led me to believe that's true. How do you go away from a guy who, over the course of your winning streak, over the course of the sustained success that you've had, albeit against lesser defenses, has been the, the mainstay of your offense. And, you know, you're, you're not even trying to give the ball to him. Like, I know you have to pass it. They were down by a million so quickly. But they've got so much of the game left to go, right? That they could have, they could have tried to establish the run. I mean, Malachi Thomas only had one carry, so... Of the two running packs that played in this game for Virginia Tech, they had three carries between them. And to me, that just shows that Bowen completely got out of his uh, rhythm from the start and was spooked by NC State's run defense. And in, in my opinion, put way too much on drones. Um, I know they got down early, but just because you're down two scores in the second quarter doesn't mean you need to completely tank the game plan and go away with what's worked, as Andrew just mentioned. Like, 
even in the run, even excuse me, even in the past game, Facial Tootin has been a reliable weapon out of the backfield essentially from the, the beginning of the season. And he did not get a single reception in this game. I'm not even sure he got targeted. And it wasn't like it wasn't like the Virginia Tech offense just didn't run as much. It was they didn't run at all. <laughs> like it was totally absent. I mean, outside like Kyron Drones obviously ran it a bunch, but like it was totally like Tootin's been a very reliable option for Virginia Tech, both in the running game and in the passing game. And he wasn't even really getting passing game snaps at all in the in the second half. It didn't make any sense. And a, a good point was brought up on Twitter because, you know, Ricky, I saw, you know, the, the tweet about, uh, you know, the, the usage of Bashal Tootin, right? And, you know, it, the question was asked in, in post-game press availability with Pry. It was like, why didn't he get more snaps? Like, oh, we were down. A lot of passing down situations, you know, went away from the run game, all that stuff. I tweeted, like, I don't buy it. And my whole thing was, like, I think he's hurt. But then the point was brought up, like, he was still returning kicks. Yep. So I really don't get it. I really don't get it. I'm I'm mesmerized by it. I, I come away just really with a lack of understanding of what the plan was. And honestly, like when you get down like that and you're coaching like that, it is concerning, right? From from Bowen's standpoint, like you you're that far out of your element that you're not getting one of your best players the ball. And, and it doesn't mean you have to run it 40 times when you're down multiple scores. I'm not saying that, but to not get him the ball at all doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when he's one of your primary weapons. He's one of the best players on the offense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, overall, and this is something that we've talked about, especially in recent weeks, but Tech isn't a team, or at least with the game plan that the coaching staff goes in with week in and week out, that has shown the capability to play from behind. In all their victories, you had a brief tie with Pittsburgh. You were down 7-3 at one point against Boston College. And, you know, the rest of the story seems to be that if the opponent takes a big lead or takes a lead, it becomes a big lead. And then, you know, Tech's able to put up second-half offense in the cases of what we saw against NC State, where they scored, you know, 21 of their 28 points in the second half. And, you know, if you want to take away positives from it, it's not the Louisville game. I think that we saw some progress and and we've seen some progress really here over the course of the last two games with drones as a passer in the month of November. It's starting to look prettier. The touchdown to Felton, especially I, I, I could say is perhaps the best pass that drones has thrown, you know, in a Virginia tech uniform, but the point seems to be that if Virginia Tech is put behind the sticks or falls behind and knocked off the game plan that's worked for them, there's really no plan B that has shown to be impactful. And maybe that's a difference in the talent level of the defense of the teams that are throwing them for a loop because there is a gap, but either way, and I, I hate to hammer a stupid point home, but when tech went out there and almost lost the scoring streak against Louisville and I walk away a little concerned and people are saying, what are you talking about? No, like this is what I'm talking about. A good defense can knock Virginia Tech off their skates at this point in the rebuild. And maybe that's to be expected depending on where you stand on things. You know, we can go macro here in a little while. Maybe that's okay. But, you know, the offense has improved. But we have enough data points to show that it hasn't necessarily arrived 
in the way that a lot of people want to declare it had in the month of October. Let's, uh, let's, I guess, light up the defense. Guys, this NC State team hadn't scored more than 26 points against any of their Power 5 opponents coming into this game. Uh, completely took Virginia Tech out of the game in the first half. And the pass rush, almost non-existent on Virginia Tech's side. Brennan Armstrong had his way with the Virginia Tech uh, front seven, especially on the designed run game and even on scrambles. This was a really disheartening defensive performance considering NC State is not Louisville on offense. NC State is not Florida State on offense. And guys, this looked, in terms of the the overall results, this looked a lot more like early September Virginia Tech than October Virginia Tech. And that's a problem. Yeah, this was we've seen kind of opposite sides of the coin, right? When we were having the discussion after the Louisville game where I said, there's really no correlation between, you know, what we see on a week to week basis. Like this is the other side of it, right? Boston college was the good side of it where, you know, Virginia tech really, I mean, they didn't score an offensive touchdown. They didn't score any touchdowns against Louisville. And then they come out the next week and damn near score 50. And then this is the flip side of it, right? This is, you know, defense looks totally lost the entire game offense is really lifeless for the first two and a half quarters of the game you mentioned how nc state ricky totally took virginia tech out of the game in the first half nc state outgained virginia tech 228 to 95 14 first downs three first downs nc state was four for seven on third down virginia tech was over three i mentioned they doubled them up in time possession nc state held the ball for over 20 minutes in the first half to virginia tech's 957 I mean, just a complete and utter disastrous first half. And I thought Virginia Tech's defense played better in the second half, certainly, but the damage was already done. And I'm even grading Virginia Tech's offense a little bit on a curve, right? Like, it's great to talk about how Virginia Tech got themselves back to the game and didn't turtle and how the offense played in the second half. And I agree, like, the you know, the the players played hard and all that stuff, but, like, NC State's defense, they were kind of sitting back a little bit, just trying to keep everything in front of them, too. Like, they were playing a different style of defense later in that game where Virginia Tech had a lot of their success. So it wasn't like NC State was all of a sudden their base defense and the Hokies offense just figured it out, and it just wasn't until the fourth quarter that everything started clicking. No, it started clicking because NC State was playing a shell defense pretty much the entire fourth quarter. I went back and watched that. That wasn't really my takeaway live. But I went back and watched it. I was like, this is a totally different defense than what we were seeing in the first half. It's because NC State had a huge lead. It was 35 to 14. They had no reason to, you know, pin their ears back and and get after the quarterback. They had every incentive to just keep everything in front of them, keep the clock moving, keep Virginia Tech's ball carriers in play. Like, that's the defense they were playing in the fourth quarter. That's where Virginia Tech had some success. It was just different, right? So the Virginia Tech defense, I mean, you... you we, we talked about the offensive struggles, but like defensively, it was the same stuff that we've talked about over and over again. Not filling run gaps, not making a tackle, like open field tackling really, really poor in the first half, like really poor. Uh, NC State turned three and four yard gains into seven and eight yard gains, especially on Brian Armstrong runs because Virginia Tech wouldn't make tackles at the point of contact just the same frustrating stuff we saw in September. And this was the first time I had really seen it against this type of opponent that they were facing on the offensive side of the ball. Like, well, and, and the, the point about this being same, but also different, I think is important to note because we saw in the Marshall game, we saw in the Rutgers game, Virginia tech was gashed in the traditional run game. In this one, it was very different. We talked about the pre-snap motions. We talked about the smoke and mirrors offense that NC State had in this game, and it forced a lot of complete coverage breakdowns in the secondary. There were missed assignments all over the place. That that wasn't something that we had really seen yet from this Virginia Tech defense, and that that is worrisome given that you have now been able to put on film essentially two different ways to beat this Virginia Tech defense. And 
we can argue about you know what kind of offense Virginia has, and we'll do that in a in a different episode with, for the preview. But um, it's it's disheartening to see that this defense has now new issues popping up in November. I mean, it was certainly disheartening, and, and to your smoke and mirrors point your pre-snap motion point, your so many ways to beat your point. NC State on offense reminded me of Virginia Tech's offense when they've been at their best this year, right? And when you had Syracuse and Boston College defensively just looking like they never had a clue what was going to come next because you could beat them in the air, could be a quarterback run. I mean – once we got the Kevin Concepcion trick play pass, that's what I really felt. And I'm like, okay, we're being outgunned here, you know? And to Mike's point, yes, NC State probably had better talent. I mean, there's a reason why they've been number one defensively in the ACC all year. But Anai beat Chris Marv fair and square and he did it all day long and for at least the first half and the first two drives of the second half yeah and and tyler bowen looked like the tyler bowen of old for at least a half of football there and you know that's how you get the result so even though it's a seven point loss you know anyone who watched the game can tell you that there's a lot more negative to take away about this contest than the final score indicates. And the good news being that we're at the point in the season where there's not a whole lot of macro left. You have one opponent remaining on the schedule and you have to beat them. And if you beat them, you know, the final outlook on the season is going to be a whole lot different than if you don't. So it's about finding a way to do that. And as their opponents can tell you over the course of the season, it's not impossible. You know, they're a three-win team to this point for a reason, but they're a feisty one. The uh, fourth quarter, Ricky texted our group chat. Uh, this is when Virginia Tech was down 35 to 21. Quote, I swear, if we get a stop and then a score <laughs> and they make me sweat this thing out, and then Virginia Tech scored very briefly after that, Andrew tweeted half or texted us halfway there. Um, then Ricky responded with, I don't know if I can handle that kind of stress. And I just <laughs> laughed at that entire exchange, right? Because. Like that, that just kind of epitomizes the entire game. None yeah. of us really ever thought Virginia Tech was in this game, right? No. Unfortunately, uh, the the macro takeaway being there wasn't a whole lot of good here. Like I, I think what were even when NC State punted on their first two drives, you felt like they were they were starting to move the football. Yeah, uh, they, they got a couple first downs on the second drive, and then the third drive it just kicked it into gear. Virginia Tech's offense at no point in the first half outside of the one touchdown, did you feel like, okay, they can they can progress the ball downfield. They're going to get some points. They're going to make this close. Right. And it, it was just incredibly hard to watch the first half. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, 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 I hate to compare it, right, because last year was such a, you know, season-long bummer. But if you remember – even against NC state last year, right. When Virginia tech's offense had been so bad and Oh my gosh, like a bomb pass to Caleb Smith and we scored like, yeah, that's points on the board, but that doesn't generally represent an offensive game plan. That's going to be sustainable for four quarters. And you know, the first few drives, right. Three plays for a yard, you get, you know, five play punt, five play punt a totally negative drive, three plays, minus four yards, punt. Like, at that point, all you could hope was that this game is going to be a total rock fight 
But to your point, Ricky, even in that early juncture in the game, NC State's offense was showing themselves to be more capable. And it kind of all came together for them in that second quarter. Yeah. And, and that's when the wheels really fell off. You know, you're down 21-7, and rock fight is now out of the question. I mean, Virginia Tech had 35 yards on its first four drives. Uh, Ricky, you mentioned that, you know, even when NC State had the had the punts on the first two drives, it felt like they were starting to find something. That That's correct, because they scored touchdowns on their next five drives after that. It took until, yeah. took and, until well into the and, second half for Tech to finally get a stop defensively. Yeah, and it's important to note, I think, too, on like th- those were not short field touchdowns. Oh, no. Seven no, no, plays, no. 64, eight plays, 60, 11, 75, 12, 75, and then 475. They were moving the ball up and down the field. I mean, Virginia Tech's first stop. So NC State, NC State punted with, let's see, they punted with 324 remaining in the first quarter. Their next punt didn't come until 208 remaining in the third. So they went, obviously, two full quarters, basically, without punting, scoring on five consecutive drives. I mean, that's just not going to get it done. I don't know. I don't care how the offense is playing. Like, you have to get off the field. You have to get off the field. Five. I mean, scoring on five consecutive drives, we can talk about the offense and how poorly it played all day long. But at some point, you got to have some pride and nut up and get a stop against an offense of this caliber, man. There's just no excuse for it. (laughs) There's no excuse for it. They... They're a two-trick pony offensively, and one of the guys, like the head of the snake in this game, was Brian Armstrong, who was starting. And he's his, been bad for most of the season. Who was starting his second game in two months? It wasn't like this. He'd been doing this all year. I mean, look at his stats coming in. He got benched for a reason, and I've seen the take floating around. I heard the take on on Tech sideline. I listened to their preview podcast after we recorded and Chris Coleman mentioned that he thought that NC state's offense had been better with Brennan Armstrong than MJ Morris. And the stats certainly support that. And that was before this game, right? Uh, they, they made a switch MJ Morris to try to get a spark out of the offense. And it didn't really happen that way. NC state definitely, uh, they were lacking identity offensively. I thought for a lot of the year and definitely have started to find themselves a little bit over the last month or so, but that wasn't because Brennan Armstrong was playing great football. Hell, he wasn't even starting until last week, and that was only because MJ Morris decided he was going to redshirt and say deuces to Raleigh. Like it's not like it's not like Brennan Armstrong like won that job back. I mean, give me a break. Yeah. So, uh, tough. I mean, real tough. One trick pony, or two trick pony, whatever. Two really solid offensive players. Good. Good. I mean, good players. Armstrong's had a good career. Yeah, but, like, yeah, Armstrong's had a good career. He's had an up-and-down career. Yeah, and, very much so. You know, through our last couple minutes here, I've just been kind of perusing through individual game stat lines going back to his first year as the starter at UVA. And I struggle to find one that is definitively better than the one he put up in Blacksburg on Saturday. Yeah. And... The one he put up in Blacksburg on Saturday. Really good. You know, it it doesn't even tell the full story. Like, he just owned the Hokies. Almost 300 yards of offense by himself. And four four touchdowns, two on the ground, two in the air. Yeah. And if this game was a little bit more competitive, he probably would have thrown for 300 or 350 yards. I mean, this was a rough game for the Virginia Tech secondary, too. Um, Now, it was a lot of a lot of swing passes, a lot of that kind of stuff, right? But, I mean, this wasn't Virginia Tech's secondary's best game either. I mean, this was this was rough across the board. It was a rough watch on the yep. defensive side, which, I mean, brings us to the UVA game this weekend, and, you know, we'll have a preview that I guess we'll record tomorrow night, Ricky, because you're traveling this week, and Andrew, you're home, and we'll we'll figure that out, get that get that episode out, but... I mean, this kind of defines defines the season, right? For Virginia Tech as a rivalry game. It's really I, I asked a question on Twitter. I, I am the author of that tweet that went viral today, the poll asking, you know, do you characterize this season a failure 
if Virginia Tech goes five and seven. I was very strategic in the word failure, right? Because that's that's a very and we were we were the three of us were texting about this. It's a very black and white, like yes or no word, right? It's all or nothing, and I I tweeted this. It would be very disappointing for Virginia Tech to lose this game against UVA. It means that you finish the year one and three, which isn't good. It means that you lost to your rival that's struggling, that's also in the middle of a rebuild. I think optically, it's not good, right? I would be disappointed for sure. Do I think the season is a failure if Virginia Tech loses to Virginia? No, I do not. I think, and the reason I came away with that is because Virginia Tech has found its quarterback in Kyron Drones. I think it's very clear, right, that the fact that we're even having the bowl game discussion after, and we can talk about what put them in this position to begin with. Right. Cause I think that's a fair argument against the coaching staff and the struggles they had in September, but talking about Virginia tech, even making a bowl game after the September they had is worth noting, right. That Virginia tech kind of found themselves offensively found an identity, but more than anything, I think it's really clear where Virginia tech's deficient. Like, if you don't come away from this season kind of understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are more than we came out of last season, right, where everything seemed like a weakness, it didn't really feel like Virginia Tech had any strengths. They were bad on offense. The, the one strength we could point to, I guess, coming into the season that we all felt decently good about was the secondary, and I think for the most part, they've held up their end of the bargain. But I think going into this offseason, we have more of an idea of what the weaknesses of this team are. It's not just everything. It's linebackers, depth on the defensive line, shoring up the offensive line, which is still a major issue. We know what the weaknesses are. We have a quarterback, and Virginia Tech has an offensive identity. And that's more than we could say at the beginning of the season, which is why I think regardless of whether or not Virginia Tech finished this season 6-6 six and six or 5-7, and seven, I don't want to say it's a moot point because I think it matters from an optic standpoint, losing to your rival and going into the offseason with a sour taste in your mouth. But I do think it it puts, just kind of put the season in perspective. I think we have an understanding now going into this offseason of where we're at in the rebuild. And it's a step forward still from where we were at at this point last year. So that's that's where I'm at with that. Maybe it's a cop-out. <laughs> Maybe it's a cop-out saying I'd be disappointed and that's not a failure, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. So I'm curious what you guys have to say there. I mean, I think that obviously a loss to UVA, though they have been extremely few and far between throughout all of our lifetimes. And to put that in perspective for people, Mike, you're what, 31? I am 31. Yep. 31. We're between 31 and 27 here. So that's what? A very small handful of UVA losses in even the oldest guy here's lifetime. It's a game you got to win. It changes the narrative if you lose, though, for a variety of reasons. Number one, from a recruiting perspective, and we own the Commonwealth, blah, blah, blah. If the final note that your season ends on is that your story of a turnaround being then turned on its side at the hand of your rival who, let's just be honest, you know, not just Virginia Tech fans, but the ACC in general, throughout the course of the season, kind of viewed as, as hapless, right? Like, it's a disaster over there at UVA. Tony Elliott may be in for a short run. You know, you're hearing things on Twitter and whether there's any validity to it at all whatsoever. You know, I don't look into it enough to know, but the donors were upset. They're already raising money to get him out of there. Whatever. 
if your season ends on a loss there and that prevents you from going to a bowl game, it's going to change that external perception. Does it change my overall confidence in the coaching staff? I mean, maybe not a ton, right? At the end of September, after the Marshall game, I believe all three of us were in agreement that the direction that this was heading in 2023 was going to end with most likely Tyler Bowen's ouster, possibly Chris Marv's ouster. And then you're going into year three with new coordinators and little to no confidence at all whatsoever that Brent Pry could be the guy. What we saw in October and parts of November is enough that even if they lose this game, I won't be totally out on Brett Pry. I'll still believe that from where he inherited the program, he took a step forward in 2023. And I would really be looking for him to take a big step forward in 2024. I'm going to be looking for that regardless. Right. But you need that, that piece, right. And with a win over UVA, the piece is, yeah, we got off to a rocky start, you know, we had a quarterback switch, a scheme switch. We lost the guy who throughout the offseason we thought was going to be our number one offensive weapon. Young offensive line, young team in general. You look at the roster turnover from 2021 to 2023. You know, you, you got to get everything going at once. And you can make the argument that after Marshall, five and three in the ACC, and against all odds, we made a bowl game. Excitement for the fan base would be extremely high going into 2024. And those are points that you can make on the recruiting trail as well. But at the end of the day, 10,000-foot view is the 10,000-foot view. Two years... Brent Pry was unable to get a team that at one point had the longest bowl streak in college football back to that six-win mark when his predecessor got fired for consistently making bowl games just not good ones. It changes things. And maybe it shouldn't. And I think, Mike, tell me who tweeted this. The difference between five and seven with a UVA loss is a lot different than five and seven with a UVA win. Someone replied to that. I thought that was an excellent, excellent point. That was my brother-in-law. It's your brother-in-law, Scotty. Scott, great friend of the program. But yeah, ultimately, it would be a massive disappointment to end the season on when things seemed like they were going so well for such an extended period of time. The poll was just a simply a troll for engagement, as J.J. Reddick would say. That's just simply what it was, yeah? But the results, just absolutely fascinating to me. I mean, we're talking 2000 presidential election in Florida, where I'm checking for hanging chads here. 1,198 <laughs> votes. 50.8 to 49.2. I mean, that is a large swath of this fan base and such a definitively worded question by Mike and, of course, by design. And we're ending up at 50-50. It's incredible. It's incredible. And maybe it speaks to Don Tomas's listener question. We'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> Ricky. Anyone who's listened to this, if you listened to the season preview episode, you know what my bars were. Win six games, beat UVA. Been clear. You were clear in I September when they were one and I haven't three. changed. Nope. I haven't wavered. And I'm not doing it now. 
I don't care that Brent Pry took over a bad roster. All right. I, I get it. Okay. I, I'm understanding of that. In this shitty conference, you don't get to go five and seven in year two and lose to a bad UVA team and claim success. You don't. I'm under I, I'm aware that they've made some progress in some areas. Facial Tutin has made a big difference. I think Kyron Drones can be QB one of the future. And I think he should be QB one next seat next season. Virginia Tech's secondary has been pretty good this year. You got to win games. This is a results-driven business, as it should be. And quite honestly, I'm getting a little irritated that we are trying to lower our standards selectively for Brent Pry and his staff. Just because they stunk up the joint for most of September doesn't mean that their bar is all of a sudden lowered. You got to get the job done, and that's just how it is. I think this Virginia Tech team needs to win on Saturday, or this season's a failure. Is the season a success if they win? Yes. They hit both of they hit both of the metrics that I that I that laid out before. In my mind, it's a success if they win this game. They get they get the uh, they get the Ricky guys. The blue I, I hammered this I hammered mark. this point home before the season started over and over and over again. The threshold from five wins to six wins is dramatically, massively large. Okay, because they play in like the quick lane bowl instead. Yes, of- yes, yes. Mike, you don't. How much easier is it to go into a a kid's home talking to his mom or his dad and saying we have we are we are showing improvement we got to a bowl game this but, year we got the six wins we beat UVA but don't you think they we're still the flagship program in the Commonwealth the as UVA, opposed to well you know we won a couple more games but we still didn't make a bowl game we still didn't get your son those fifteen extra practices before the end of the season we could use the extra practice we could use the extra practices I agree so yeah I think that's a huge I think it's a huge deal and it's a huge optics issue too there are approximately eighty seven bowl games nowadays and if you aren't one of the teams playing in the bowl games you got nobody to blame but yourself. More than especially half the in this dog shit conference, more than half the teams make a bowl game. Boys, the ACC is bad this year, middle to bottom. Top, it's pretty good. Florida State's good. Louisville's good. NC State looks like they're pretty good, but they're certainly gettable. Clemson's playing better. Clemson's playing better, guys. The bottom eight in this conference suck. It's bad. Win some games. I mean, I hate to do it, but look oh, at and it. your non-conference schedule was Marshall and Rutgers and a bad Purdue team. Give me a break. Got to get the six wins. I said it before the season. I'm not changing my mind. Purdue is hindsight 2020, a pretty inexcusable loss. Marshall is certainly a pretty inexcusable loss, given how they fared in the Sun Belt. The schedule was pretty darn easy. Yeah, it's set up for, but Ricky, I mean, you say, okay, like just because they stunk up the joint in September, that's not an excuse. And that's a good point. But following September, as a fan and as a supporter of the university, the football program, the community that surrounds it, last year and Pretty much everything following, I don't know. I forget when the exact turning point was, when things went so sour for Fuente in 2021. Obviously, it wasn't the season opener against North Carolina. That was great. But you had a year and a half, and then plus September, of being a Virginia Tech football fan was just depressing. And, yeah, maybe they did it against Pitt in a down year and Wake in a down year and Syracuse in a down year at Boston College, who... As Mike McDaniel will tell you, stinks. They're bad. But 
Those are your conference opponents. You play the teams who are in front of you. And not only did they win those games, they won those games decisively, right? So the difference in losing to UVA was that following Marshall, everything seemed like it was falling apart. Or edit that, Mike. But everything seemed like it was falling apart. Virginia Tech won every game that on paper they really should have won against Florida State and Louisville, who they certainly shouldn't have beaten. And the Vegas lines going into the game told you that. They laid eggs. And then NC State being the one real disappointment you really could have played better. But again, what was Virginia Tech pick going into the season? Like 11th or 12th out of 14 in the conference. And NC State was picked third. Vegas line was five wins. Yeah. So you're at the five win point. You go in, you beat UVA, who everyone and their mother going into the season and really throughout the season had marked up as an auto dub. And yeah, it was a six win season against a relatively overall bad schedule and it had enough it's ups and downs, but I'll tell you what, I'll feel good going into next year, or at least we, we have no idea what's going to happen in the transfer portal and who we're going to get and who we potentially could lose. But in what seemed like a real disaster of a situation, the staff found a way to right the ship and get this team to a point that in September, no one thought they were going to get to. And if they lose to UVA by three, I'm not going to lose every ounce of that confidence that I would have if they win by three. But yeah, it's going to sting a little bit. And from an optics perspective, when it comes to recruiting trail, when it comes to all that stuff, yeah, it's going to make an impact. So you need to win. But my overall confidence in the coaching staff as a whole won't change a ton going into 2024 if they lose. So I'm kind of just copping out with Mike. Yeah. I don't think that all of a sudden Virginia tech is like doomed in 2024. If they lose to UVA, I don't, I'm not, not based saying on what they're seen. doomed, Mike. I'm saying that they have not made the sufficient progress that I expected them to make. Why? And that I, I think that we should all expect them to make and hold them a standard to make. So you're you're telling me that you are not going to be feeling better exiting the season five and seven than when it began? Or are you and you're just they just didn't reach your bar of six wins and that's it? They're not reaching the bar of success. You can make improvement while still not reaching where you should be. I don't because I, I personally like from the success standpoint. We can make the argument Virginia Tech should have won more than six games, right? We're talking well, about how yeah, hard the absolutely. schedule is. They right? actually but, definitively should have. I'm like, asking them. I'm asking them to win half I, the games on their schedule. That's I don't it. even think six wins is a success. Like, I don't think it's a success. After going or three a and eight last year, getting yourself to a bowl game and beating your rival, that is a success. That, I just you can, you can build off of that. You can build that message and build that momentum going into the offseason. You win five games, you don't go bowling, you're not on TV in the holiday season, and you lose to UVA, who you said you were the flagship program over. You can't build a message on that, Mike. Fry and his staff just have flat out, I, I don't think them losing to UVA is all of a sudden going to doom Virginia Tech and all the high schools in Virginia because they lost in a rebuild. It is a lot harder to sell that message that you are the flagship program in the Commonwealth when you're 0 for 2 in bowl games in your two years and the one game you got to play against Tony Elliott, whose program has been quite bad, you lost. Okay. All right. I feel like at some point we've got to stop holding these people's hands. I think I think that time is not in year two. I think that time is in year three. Hold, I think holding their like a six win. I don't think we're Mike, holding their hands for eight. I don't think we're holding. I don't think six. we're holding their hands. I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying that them not making a bowl game isn't going to be disappointing, especially with how this team looked in October specifically. What I'm saying is going into the off season, 
I don't think we can say that this season has been a failure because they went five and seven and have definitive holes. We're playing a safety who is a converted wide receiver for Christ's sakes. By they, choice. I'm going to throw that out there. In this last game, Nasir Peoples was sitting while healthy. I don't understand why. But I noticed that in the game, and I'm pretty sure I actually texted you guys and asked if I was missing something, or maybe it was my other tech friends. But yeah. for a second, I thought maybe Peoples had gotten hurt, but the man was just sitting on the bench while Jalen Jones was getting burnt in coverage. I mean, I don't totally disagree with Ricky's assertion that I don't in either. a season where I don't either. Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech under Brent Key with, with a harder schedule going bowling. Right. Dino Babers nice. just got fired, and Syracuse is probably still going bowling. Boston College is going bowling. You had a pretty patty cake schedule. Yeah. And you put yourself behind the eight ball, so it feels more impressive to get there. But and at the end of the day, whether they make the bowl game or they don't, when we take the 10,000-foot view of the season, we look at the schedules and how all those teams fared over time. There was more than six available wins on the schedule. Virginia Tech should get there. And this is what we were talking about in the preseason, actually, even through the month of September, where it was like all three of us in the preseason, right, in our season preview, we all said Virginia Tech would go five and seven. And then we had, as part of that podcast, we had a separate discussion where we said, okay, if Virginia Tech gets five and seven, how gets to five and seven, how are we going to feel about it? And it and the answer at the time, <clears throat> ironically, from Andrew and I was show me the five and how we got there. And the answer from Ricky, who's been very consistent, has been they need to get to six. So we have arrived, gentlemen, at the same exact spot we were at in the preseason. Andrew and I are very much like optically show us how we got to five, right? We're talking about September and the recovery and the the offensive scheme and finding a quarterback. We're attacking it from that angle. Ricky is very consistent in, I said six wins. Look at the schedule. And it's an eye of the beholder thing, which is why the poll is 50-50. It's 50-50. <laughs> there is no right or wrong there is no right or wrong here. It's how oh, yeah, there is. You guys are wrong. Yes. <laughs> you. you know, like, so Just there's a message to Ricky LeBlue's future kids. When that man draws a line in the sand, he's not joking around. <laughs> the line is drawn and that's it. He drew it three months ago. Pick and a he's side. Been cons- he has been consistent. <laughs> he's been absolute. Uh, we give him credit. 1000% consistent all year long, no wavering. I do appreciate that. I got to be good for something on this podcast, boys. The The other part of this too, that I, I think it might've been Andrew that mentioned this and maybe, and maybe you guys can um, stew on this for a little bit. You guys were talking about how you get the five wins. How about losing three of your last four? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about losing three of my last four going into the offseason. I don't want to talk about how I'm not in the bowl game. I don't want to talk about how I lost to UBA. Yeah. This this game on Saturday, oh, I've said it. I said it as soon as the NC State game ended. This defines the season. At, there are points in, in a coach's tenure where you point to that and you say, that made a difference. That moment in time. This can be a moment in time where Brent Pry went on the road after a bad performance at home to finish the finish the home schedule, went on the road, beat a team that is better than three better than three wins. I think we can all agree that that they've played pretty tough uh, and have looked better of late. Certainly over the last but, month, they've. But been you went on the better. road, you got the job done, you walked out with a win, you're going bowling, your season's not over, or. It can be, I lost three of my last four after one good month in the middle of the season. And I'm not going bowling. My recruits won't be watching me on TV on Christmas or the days before Christmas or the days after Christmas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, but to that point that me and Mike made going into the year and to the point of the shout out Scott Savino tweet 
the UVA game plays into that perception. And on the road is important. The fact that UVA is, you know, despite not amassing a ton of wins, Virginia Tech fans are going to be able to respect playing in Louisville tight in a game where really they got screwed by the refs, if we're being honest. Waving my hands, no one hurt me. But yeah, UVA got screwed in that game. I'll call spade a spade. And they have the momentum and absolutely nothing to lose. Absolutely yeah. nothing to lose. Yeah, and there is no St- team more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. No team more dangerous, especially in a rivalry game, a team that's got nothing to lose, but they're feeling themselves a little bit and feel like they have a lot to gain. They just want to take it away from you. I think and we coming off of a debilitating loss like we just have. I mean, Price said it in the post-game presser. We can't stew on this. It's got to be just turn around and focus on next Saturday. Get your guys ready to play on the road, which under Brent Bryant, they haven't done particularly well overall. Yeah, I think we can all agree, and maybe this is kind of our tie-in to finish the podcast. This game's going to be hell. Yeah, it's going to be a hell game. I mean, it's going to be hard to watch. <laughs> I think this goes one of two ways. I think it's a Over, hell game. Over, under, for... three and a half strokes between the three of us. Shout out Mount Rushmore listener, Steve Bryce, 2020, who's been with us since the beginning. Day one. Yeah, whether he likes us or not. Yes. Like uh, depends on the day. It depends Man on how much I after I, both of us in the mentions. Multiple it, depends, times. it depends on how much Ricky and I collectively piss him off. Shout out, Steve. Tweets at us almost immediately upon the conclusion, like, we have our hell week. Yeah. Speaking of also, since we mentioned over under three and a half strokes, shout out to all the stroke victims out there. Yeah, shout out to all the stroke victims out there. At what point are we disrespecting stroke victims? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I mean, I think BC Podcast still has a stroke award, so. I will tell you who I almost gave it to uh, (laughs) last night off the air. I'm not going to say on this here podcast tonight. You guys will think it was totally out of control. Go and listen to the podcast to find out. Maybe that's the. Maybe that's the play. Little hook, man. Put something behind the curtain. We'll we'll peel back there. We'll inside baseball. We'll be back later <laughs> this week. Do you guys have anything else, by the way? Oh, rate, review, subscribe. I'll slide that in. Please, please, please review, 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 review the podcast, please. It really helps us. Cannot hammer that home enough. Yeah. Uh, my final thoughts here. Shout out Pete B., from the Two Deep podcast, linked up with him. First time I've ever met him. Great guy, despite the fact that his uh, his buddy drinks red wine and champs. I guess someone's got to. <laughs> what happens when you're old? <laughs> Shout out, Pete. That wine um, was aged, but not like by design, you know, fine wine gets better with age. Like, no, Rich, also shout out Rich, general manager of champs. Probably had to go dust those wine bottles off. <laughs> like, yeah, I bought these when I first started here in 1997. No one's ever ordered them before. We have a wine opener here. <laughs> uh, and yeah, just generally shout out the Hokie fan base, though. Uh, I was able to make it out to four home games this year, one on the road, that being the Rutgers game. Uh, and despite the fact that this was a three win team last year, despite the fact the team got off to a one and three start. I mean, high energy sellouts across the board. This fan base deserves a winner. I hope we get one soon. Rick, anything you good? Yeah, I think I'm good. Make sure you follow the boys on Twitter, uh, drop the column uh, for me this morning. So at Ricky, the blue, I guess we got to stop saying Twitter, right? Elon's going to file a lawsuit against us. I think we're next. Um, <laughs> follow us on X at Mike McDaniel SI at Andrew Alex Radio at Ricky the Blue at Hokie Hangover. Uh, we always are put, putting out the show there, and Mike is always stirring the pot. That's what I do. X drumming up trolling Excellent for engagement. Work today. Thank you. Somebody's got yeah, yeah, yeah. Some really solid, some solid work there, Mike. Some Thank of my you. PR friends would be impressed. 
But an important question, one that got the three of us going for the better part of like 40 minutes. Yeah, it was solid and it's split right down the middle, which is what we like. A lot of people will listen to this as a result. Guys, good pod tonight. I enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back. Yeah, always. We'll be back later this week. Huge game to preview. Obviously, we will uh, discuss the showdown in Charlottesville on Saturday. But until then, go Hokies. Mm -hmm.